Hi, everyone. Welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm Barry Edwards. And today we're going to be talking with Robert Ginsburg. And he is the founder of the Forever Family Foundation. And this was born out of a tragic loss of his that he will share with us. But it is giving back. It is uh, helping us deal with grief. We are today going to talk a lot about dealing with grief. It is something that you get over 50, it starts to become a real reality. And uh, we're also going to talk about the fun side of things, the afterlife, near-death experiences, something I've been fascinated about my, uh, my entire life. And we're going to talk about mediums, uh, the good ones and the frauds. So that comes up a little later. And we're going to touch on a little bit of reincarnation, the theories behind that. So we don't know everything. We theorize a lot. And that's, uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. Thank you. Ease them into yeah, we'll ease them into it. Hey, everybody, welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm here with Robert Ginsburg today, very interesting guy who do, he doesn't know it, but I got to know him very well over the last week and uh, watched the docu, Netflix docu-series Surviving Death for the second time. And uh, it was really good. We're going to talk a bit about that. Bob is the founder of Forever Family Foundation. I want to talk a lot about that. I think it's a very important foundation. And he is the author of the medium explosion. And yeah, that's like talking to dead people. Um, Bob also can has been investigating mediumship and other evidence of life, life after death since 2003. Bob also conducts a certification process to evaluate mediums to see if they could do what they claim. He is also the host of, of Signs of Life radio show and past editor of Signs of Life magazine. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you, well, Barry. It's my pleasure to be here with you and your audience. I am so happy to have you here. I want to lay the foundation. I know of the backstory and... Um, I think I saw you on another podcast or heard you on another podcast talk about now, see, since 2003, you have done an awful lot in this space. How did you get into this space? Um, got into the space uh, as a result of personal tragedy. You know, if we, if we go back 20 years um, and you or I were discussing the possibility of, of life after death, I would just roll my eyes and say, that's, that's impossible. I mean, we're, we are our bodies, uh, we are our brains, and when our brains die, that's it, you know, we're, we're gone forever. Um, and I would never even entertain uh, the possibility of life after death. Um, and then uh, and then my daughter died. Um, she died under uh, circumstances uh, that were pretty strange in, in the fact that my wife woke up at three o'clock in the morning, the morning that my son and daughter were involved in a car accident, and she was trembling and, and ashen white. I said, what, what's the matter? And she said, she just looked at me. She wouldn't even talk. I said, what's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? Can you have any details? And she said, I can't tell you, but our lives are going to be changed forever today. So I, I did what most parents would do. I watched over our three children throughout the day. Um, my oldest one, I was going to take back to college uh, the following day. This was... Uh, on September 1st, um, so everybody was getting ready to, to go back. And then we had, uh, my middle one already was at college, so she was a week into school. And my youngest one, who was 15, Bailey, she was working one last uh, day in a part-time job, and I dropped her off. 
And at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I didn't really, I can't say when Fran, my wife mentioned it, I, I can't say that I really believed it, but the evidence over the, you know, we were married decades. And during that time, there were several episodes where Fran had these prophetic like visions and every single one came true exactly the way she played it out. So I said to myself, you know, if she was right then, they were all good things. But mm. if she was right then, she could be right now. You know, so make a long story short, at the end of the day, I let my guard down. We all went out to dinner. I let my son and my daughter drive back home. We followed them, came upon the accident. My daughter didn't survive uh, the accident. And my uh, son had uh, severe uh Brain injuries was in a coma for a while and eventually, you know, made, made a full recovery. So, you know, after uh, it became clear about a month or two went by and it became clear that my son was going to survive, I, you know, I was in shock for a month or two. And then, then I said, wait a second, wait, how did how did my wife know? How did Fran know? Because she knew, you know, she couldn't tell me exactly, but she knew. So that started me on a quest of approaching it from a scientific point of view. I met with... Um, medical doctors and researchers and scientists across the United States um, that studied consciousness and the mind. Um, and because um, I wanted to know if our thoughts and our, you know, or our minds can act independently of our physical brain. And once I saw all the evidence for that, I went further and further and further. Um, and the rest is history. You know, we, we eventually started, as you mentioned, Forever Family Foundation. Um, you know, in the Netflix docu-series, didn't quite give a picture of everything that we do because it was focused on grief, and that's a big part of our work. Mm. Um, and it was focused on mediums, but we're interested in all types of evidence, um, you know, near-death experiences and deathbed visions, reincarnation, after-death communications, and so forth. So that, that's a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's an important foundation. You know, this I thought for the first time as you were saying this, that it, this also begs the question, the situation with your wife and then uh, losing your daughter as a result. What do you think about predestination? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think about that. I, I don't know. I haven't quite get my get my thoughts straight on that. I'm it's open, a tough I'm, one. I'm an open-minded skeptic. Um, so I, I remain open-minded to everything and I just follow the evidence. Um, I will tell you that... Um, well, you know, it was very unusual. When my daughter, as I mentioned, she was 15. What I found out later is that when she was 13, she entered into a pact with her best friend. And the, 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 the pact was that if either of them were to die, they were going to make up a sign to, that they would communicate after the death so the other one knew that they were still alive. You know, not your typical conversation. No. Then we also subsequently found... Um, all of her writings. She was a you know a gifted writer even at that young age, and a, and a lot of uh, essays and poetry and, and and so forth were focused around what happens after we physical die. Then when mm. I look back about all these things, and you brought it up with with predestination, I think that she had some inner knowing, you know, because I mm. I remember one incident where. Um, we were looking at colleges with my middle daughter. And since uh, Bailey was only two years behind, I figured, well, let's bring her along because it won't be long before sure. we're going to have to look at places with her. And we're doing this college tour. And all of a sudden I look off in the distance and I see Bailey sitting alone on a bench and she's crying, tears like rolling down her eyes. Mm -hmm. 
I said, Bales, what's the, what's the matter? She said, Dad, I have so much I need to do with my life. And what if I don't get a chance to do it? You know, and I, oh my God. And I looked at her and I, you know, not really understanding. And I said to her, you know, of course, what most parents would say, what are you talking about? You, you know, you're 13 years old, or at the time she was older. I said, your whole life is ahead of you. You're going to be able to do anything that you want. But so, you know, maybe I don't know whether it's actually predestined, although a lot of people in the spiritual community think so, or, or maybe some people are able to catch a glimpse of, you know, of the future of a future event. I know I, you know, you made me think of that because you said you let your guard down because you're originally vigilant throughout the day about something happening. But that's what made me think of it. I'm not a, I don't know, but I, I tend to not be a big believer in predestiny just because there's so much chaos going on. One, you know, it's like billiards. That one ball hits uh, three others and causes all these different things to happen. That's a tough one, but I don't know. My mind's open to it. So there, I want to talk about basically everything you already touched on a little bit. I want to talk about mediums. I want to talk about more about your foundation and dealing with grief for sure. That's the main premise I think that we need to cover here on over 50 starting over. Yeah. Now, and, you know, and, yeah. Go, and, you know, I, I was thinking about that because I, you know, I, I know that, you know, the, the, the audience for your show. And I think what's interesting is that we have 12,000 members in the foundation and a lot, very large percentage of those people are in grief. You know, they're bereaved in some fashion. They've lost a loved one. However, what I've been noticing over the past couple of years is that, more and more people are joining the foundation, not necessarily because they lost somebody, but they're questioning their own mortality. You know, the baby boomers are starting to come of age and you never really thought about, uh, you're just living your life and never thought about what happens afterwards. And now people, especially after the pandemic and seeing so many people, you know, pass from it and that and everything else that's going on, people saying, wait a second, let me just look into this a little bit. You know, yeah. and the fact is that, and clinical studies that have been published in peer-reviewed journals have shown this, is that people um, who believe that there's something more, that we're more than a physical bodies and that we continue after physical death, um, are able to live their lives more, more fully, you know, than those that don't. They also Agreed. do better in their grief than those that don't. And that makes sense to me because, sure. especially from the aspect of losing a loved one, if you believe that they still exist in some form, that could be of enormous help. And and on the other, even if you haven't lost anybody, um, just thinking, you know, we, we live our lives in so much fear of dying, you know, yes. there's so much of that. And we do everything, uh, it's unimaginable, we do everything to prevent it. But if we believe that um, our consciousness or our mind or our soul, whatever you choose to call it, continues on, um, once we get rid of that fear, we can embrace the life that we have here in the physical. You know, I want to say something I've said many times on this podcast throughout the last uh, few years is that I, I've read a lot of Buddhism and stuff. I don't uh, subscribe to any particular religion. I always believed in the afterlife. I mean, big time. Uh, open mind to it, though. But the Buddhists have a very important principle, and that is contemplate death. And that means your own death, death of your loved ones and all of that. And, you know, as I say that, I can just feel everybody cringe around me because everybody in the Western world is so 
uh, terrified of talking about death, of thinking about it. I mean, it's our culture. As soon as it's brought up, I don't want to talk about that. You know, makes you uncomfortable. Well, that's kind of the point. When you contemplate it, for one, you do, uh, you come to terms with the finite of this physical realm, but it takes the irrational edge off of the grief when death does occur uh, with a loved one. And yeah, I mean, I've been through it and my usual co-host and I, we talk about this. We've talked about that for years. Uh, We've been friends since college and we've talked about that for years. I think it's a very important concept. Yeah. And and you know what also that we've seen, I've noticed it for almost since the beginning, is that there are people um, that we come across every day um, that refuse to even look at the evidence, you know, because they're in grief. And what I've noticed is that some some people, they get defined by by their grief. Their grief is who they are. And if I were to suggest to them the possibility that their loved one still survives in some form, they take that as an affront to their grief as if the suggestion that their loved one still exists diminishes the depth of the, of their grief. Um, wow. So they, re- so they refuse to even, even talk about it, you know, and, and um, I that's, understand it, but you know, it sounds really unhealthy, man. Yeah, I know it does yeah. because that their whole life becomes, you know, that the, their friends who, who pity them and, you know, oh. and who, you know pamper them and, you know, and, and, oh. And and the chances of them regaining some meaning and purpose in their in their life is is very small because, um, you know they 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 just have become this this new person that doesn't don't, doesn't want to engage mm. and you know, that's not healthy and people approach it different ways some people uh, have addictions some people start you know taking medication some people just shut down um, um, and um, you know I think that. In, in some instances, you know, believing, you know, that we're more than a physical bodies can take the place of some of these people that are these medicine medicines that people are taking to kind of. For sure. Know, Let's shut, tackle shut that. One. Yeah. Let's tackle that one, because I think it's an easy one, really. Are we are we just our brains and our physical minds? And then if that gets destroyed instantly, is everything gone? And are we nothing? You know what people like to say that sounds so clever? And I like it because it is clever is what happens to you when you die? And, and and I think it's like if I say, what do you mean you don't, you believe that it's just over with? And they'll say, well, remember what life was like before you were born? And you go, no. Yeah, it's just like that. Clever. <laughs> yeah. It's right. funny. It's clever. But the truth of the matter is, is I've been following near-death experiences my entire life in any way I could find them, you know, books or whatever. I, I think it's fascinating. Any doc, almost any doctor, I think, can tell you that they've seen brains shut down for a very long time. Well, I guess you have to be in a near-death experience realm. to, But um, when people come back out of it and they can explain everything they've seen everything that went on with their body what doctors were doing to them describe the procedures and all of that apparently they're two different things i mean kind of obvious right what do you yeah and you know the the evidence from near-death experiences is is so compelling because as you mentioned uh, these people meet every definition that medical science has for death they have no brain waves they have no heartbeat they have no respiration they have no reflexes 
um, they are dead as far as medical science can, can tell. And yet what happens? Um, they report clear and lucid thinking, you know, mm. um, and, and so, you know, the, the argument that a lot of people will make, well, it, it, it's um, it's anoxia, it's a lack of oxygen to the brain right. and these little hallucinations and so forth. But if you know anybody that was hallucinating or even studies with fighter pilots, you know, when they have oxygen deprivation, it's anything but clear and lucid thinking. They're right. thrashing about that, you know, it's wild, you know, it, it's it's not a... Um, uh, an easy process to go through. So um, in a near-death experience, they have all these things that you can't refute. You mentioned um, seeing what's going on, separating from your physical body. Your consciousness yeah. goes out of your body. Uh, and you mentioned a case like that. There are, there are cases, um, Kenneth Ring wrote a book about people that um, are have been blind since birth, you know, totally sightless. Mm -hmm. They have a near-death experience. They go outside their body and they can t describe the colors uh, and the movements of everything that went on in that operating ar arena and yeah. in the hospital, if they were in a hospital, um, and get all the colors right. So, I mean, how is that possible? The, the explanation is that it's possible because they're not using their physical apparatus. Their, their right. eyes are meaningless. They're seeing, you know, sort of from, from a different perspective and dimension. So um, I think that... Um, you know, in the near-death experience, we read about people like going through a tunnel and moving to the light. And that happens with some, but there are about 10 or 15 different commonalities, but not every near-death experience has, has them all. Right. Um, some are, are uh, see um, loved ones that, that have died before them. Um, a lot of people, um, which might go back to your destiny, you know, mm. question, you know, they, they, a, a huge number say that they came back because they were told mm -hmm. that it was not their time and then, and, and they had, had more things to do in their life. So the fact that there, it wasn't their time is interesting because that suggests that we all have a specific time when we go, which is a hard concept, you know, for it's a tough, you know, what happens to a one-year-old, it was their time. And, you know, from the, we think in physical terms, but from the instant, in the spiritual terms, you know, their soul, uh, you know, that this is one fragment of a soul, of a much greater soul, which is the accumulation of perhaps many different lifetimes, you know, and we yes. come back to, to you know, that, that's the part about reincarnation, reincarnation that I never quite could fathom, because why would you choose to come back to a life of sickness or poverty or, or, or you know, or, right. or terror and you know, and the answer that I would always get from the spiritual community is because that was what was needed to complete this this, this oversoul. Not an easy concept to grasp, but no. Back to yeah. Buddhism for a minute. I, since you went to reincarnation, let's uh, let's visit that for a moment. So Buddhists believe that, or Hindu maybe, but uh, believe that we're uh, on we're climbing a ladder and trying to reach nirvana, and so we're reborn. That's why karma. You, you want to create as much good karma as possible. So you're not repeating the same mistakes. And, and with each passing lifetime, you do climb another rung up the ladder uh, until you hit your des their final destination. That's their, that's their belief. Um, I don't know how that works. It seems to me, this is where I want to want you to chime in because you have a lot of experience with this. It seems to me that reincarnation, as far as we see, isn't, 
doesn't seem like everybody goes through it. The evidence isn't like that. It seems like it's much less of a percentage. Doesn't it seem like that to you? Yeah, I, I think it's clear that there's a choice. Not you know, it's not a mandatory thing where everybody. Uh, so so it's now whether that choice is ours alone or you know with guides or helpers on the other side that's that help us hash it out to decide whether we want to give it another run. Yeah. Um, but um, so I don't think that everybody you know reincarnates. Of course. Uh, in many countries, it's more accepted and more prevalent, and that's why a lot of the reincarnation cases come from, you know, places like India and so forth. Right. Uh, so, um, because there's a stigma attached to it, you know, a lot, lots of times because of religious reasons that people, uh, their child may be talking about a past life, but they don't want to be ridiculed or judged by their friends or their family, so they keep it quiet. Well, um, it could fly in the face of, of your Christianity. And right. so, I mean, if that happens, my God, you're going to uh, do everything you can to bury that, you know, bury that under the sand. That's true. And and um, I think, you know, and the, the way that we, the scientists study reincarnation is they, they accumulate the, the, you know, these cases, a case comes to them of a child talking about a previous life. And then the, the scientist becomes an investigator or a detective, you know, they, they yeah. pull medical records and autopsy reports and, you know, school records and dental records and all sorts of things. And they piece together, you know, trying to see if they can corroborate some of the evidence. Sometimes if they're lucky, um, the person describes exactly where they used to live um, and they're able to visit their, their old family. And sometimes that's extraordinary. Ian Stevenson at the, University of Virginia uh, spent decades accumulating thousands of these cases. And now Jim Tucker, who's also a medical doctor at the, at the University of Virginia, continues. And I think some of his cases were in the the last episode of the of the Netflix series. Oh, I was yeah. going to bring that up. It's yeah. chilling. I, yeah. And uh, this one, um, I believe he was a little boy, uh, remembered the name of, of his uh, who he was. And yeah. uh, described his mother, uh, knew the basically the neighborhood uh, where he was from. The doctor ends up putting uh, pictures, uh, giving him a choice. Is this your mom or is this your mom? And he picks his mom. Is this your was this your house or was this your house? Picks his house. All these different things. He was five for five on every one of them, like without yeah. hesitation. Yeah. Well, there's also a case. I, I think it was on the show. Um about um, a guy who remembers, uh, you know, Marty Martin being Marty Martin, who was a, a uh, an actor, you know. Right. You know it was on the, the show. Yeah, and and you know, uh, Doctor Tucker, who was describing this, you know, had fifty five O pieces of specific information that were verified. Yes. You know, yeah. so the odds against chance are pretty slim of that, you know, of that happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like I said, I think that this can happen. In fact, in that case. They described, I forget who described, like the mother, the mother described it as when she was about to give birth or something, might screw this up a little bit, but she felt his soul entering her and saying, oh yeah, I get another chance. <laughs> Salta, do you remember that? I don't remember that. Specifically. Yeah, it's in, the, it's in that, it's in that mm. uh, Netflix special. So, mm. I mean, it was wild. Oh, uh, let's talk about your foundation for a little bit, because I, I do I want to talk about. Oh, boy, I really want to talk about mediums, too, though. Yeah. But uh, so I don't know where let's talk about mediums for a while. Okay. And 
uh, so, because there's practical. And then even in that special, I thought it got really kind of way out there. Yeah. They lost me at some point. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, there were two episodes. Yes. Where they, they just went woo woo and, you know, off the grid and yes. they, they didn't do it any good. Um, on the whole, though, it raised awareness, you know, uh, and they got to see a little bit of both sides of that stuff. You know, with, regarding mediumship, I, I remember uh, that uh, before uh, before my diet, my daughter died, I was playing golf with a friend of mine and my, my friend Kenny. And <clears throat> Kenny had just lost his wife to 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 cancer, and we were sitting in the car and waiting to our turn to the next tee. And Kenny looks at me and he says, Bob, his wife says, I got to tell you, I went to see a medium and right away, like alarm bells start going up. He says, and it was incredible. She started giving me all this evidential stuff that she couldn't possibly have known. He's going on and on. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and he probably saw that glazed look in my eyes like people give me now, you know, and, and they and he just said, you, you don't believe any of this, do you? And I gave him some lame answer. Well, Kenny, you, you never know. And I remember going home to my wife saying, oh, my God. Kenny's flipped out. He's going to some gypsy fortune teller. She's taking him for all his money, you know, and, and it's, I think you're going to be right. 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I do still, I have an open mind. I think there are really good valid mediums out there. And I know that, you know that, but I think, I think there's a lot of fraud. It's so easy. Yeah. Well, that's the reason that I, that I wrote the book, as you mentioned, I, you know, we've been conducting this medium certification, um, evaluation program since 2005 and I developed the program after consulting and getting the, some uh, picking the brains of some scientists that study mediumship in a university setting um, and what I found based upon my own statistics since 2005 that um, 85 to 90 percent of all the mediums um, that are out there um, cannot do what they claim and that's borne wow. out because only ten, over ten, only ten percent have gained our certification in those years. Now, wow. it is a little bit of a scary thought because, you know, these mediums are are um, they are not mental health professionals, but in fact, they're sitting with people that are in deep grief that are kind of on the edge, and and they don't know. They're just looking to to keep going, and they don't they don't know whether the afterlife is just a fantasy or, or it's real, right. and. If they go to a medium and they get a, a non-evidential or a poor reading, they could walk away from that in worse shape than when they got there. On the other hand, a, a very powerful and evidential specific um, mediumship reading can have enormous benefits on one's grief. And I've witnessed it time and time and time again. Mm. Um, and so, uh, but but I, I, I wrote the book really because it is a bit, I mean, I call it an explosion, but there's a proliferation of mediums out there that is extraordinary. Every place you look, you know, because yeah. all the TV shows, you know, I want to be like this and that. There are no, um, there's no licensing requirements. There's no proficiency standards. There's no right. um, um, ethics, um, you know, questions. There's no continuing education. Tomorrow, you could go out and say, you're a battery to medium, start charging people $500 for a reading yeah. and making up yeah. crap, you know? So um, it, it, it is an issue, especially today um, in the information age, you know, where a medium mm. can find out about your whole life with a one click, yes. you know? So, um, yes. but um, that's what we do. You know, I mean, we, we weed out now, I'm not saying that that 90% are fraudulent. I mean, it's, 
Some of them are, but most of them are not. They just, they do have some intuitive ability, but so do you and I, it's varying yeah. degrees, we all do. And, you know, some, they, somebody, they have some intuitive moment and their friend says to them, well, you, you know, you should do this for a living and become a medium. And lo and behold, they do. So it's a very serious business um, and not everybody um, can do it. And there's also a difference between psychic information and mediumistic information. A lot of people are psychic. They could they could read your mind and and transmit you know thoughts to others and receive thoughts, but that that doesn't mean that they have necessarily the ability to talk to somebody that's mm. in the spirit world that doesn't have a body. It seems to right. be two distinct skill sets. And from evaluating them in in our process, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. It's not really, that reading somebody's mind is is easy. That's extraordinary in and of itself. But right. for our purposes, we're looking for evidence of an afterlife. Right. When you said certif certifying them, how do you how do you certify them? Like it, that sounds like a legal. Like, did you do something legally, like to create a certification? No, it's our own certification process. Okay. I mean, it's a long process. I mean, it involves um, it involves uh, pre preliminary questions. Uh, an extensive eight-page application, committees that review it, an extensive interview, um, mm. and then that those that that go forward in the process, um, they have to do a series of five different readings. Reading mm. is what a medium does to a sitter, the person receiving the reading. And I train all of the sitters beforehand um, about scoring procedures and what's specific information and what's not cold reading techniques and all about mediumship so these people are ready that's not i don't take people off the street they've been gone through a training process and then the medium does five different readings for five different sitters and then we have five different scoring methods um, and they have to reach the minimum guideline in each of the five so you know, it's, as I mentioned, we've been doing it since 2005. That's what, uh, 17 years. And there's only 25 mediums that have been certified. That's not a lot. About, about uh, Well, you said about 85 to 90% did not get certification. So that's like out of like 500 or something, roughly. Yeah. I, you know, so, terrible, yeah, I, we have to, we have to evaluate 10 mediums to find one, you know, that, mm. you know, and we don't have, you know, we don't have you know, unlimited time and resources to keep doing this, although I'm trying to revamp it, you know, because what's what's happened is that um, as the foundation grew, a lot of the mediums that we certified back in the day have gone on to become famous, you know, TV shows and books. Yeah. And so what happens when somebody becomes famous? They they do less readings, they charge ridiculous amounts of money, and they have waiting lists that are four years long. That doesn't do us any good because right. as a resource for the bereaved, you know, you're sitting there, you desperately want to talk to your loved one, you call a medium, and I could see you in 2025, right. and it'll be five, six hundred dollars. You know, it's so I have to identify more people that are have reasonable prices and are accessible. Yeah. Do you remember that guy, John Edwards, uh, that was on TV like 20 years ago? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did he get outed? Uh, that's how I remember it. But I actually tried Googling that a couple hours ago in preparation for this, and I didn't really find it. I thought I remember that he um, was outed for having the big room bugged where all of the uh, audience was just hanging out before the show. And they of course would talk about 
you know, and so then he was fed through a little earpiece. Hey, the guy in the fourth row in the purple shirt, um, you know, all of that. That that goes on, but to my knowledge, John John never, you know, he's, he's legitimate and he, um, and I, I'm familiar with scientists that have uh, conducted research with him under scientific controlled conditions and he's the, he's the real deal. So uh, no, to my knowledge, nobody ever found him engaged in any fraud. It could have been a a disgruntled audience member just projecting that, you know, that maybe it's a common, you know, a retort by people who are skeptical. They just say that about every medium because in their mind, that's the only way that, that, that it could happen, you know? Okay. So let's, uh, let's get onto some nitty gritty. I want to talk about a real life, uh, meaningful stuff for our audience. And I mean, grief here at, Somebody wrote a book about five stages of grief a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pardon me. That was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Thank you. Thank you. Do you, is that part of your foundation's program? Do you guide people through this? Um, I don't believe in the five stages of grief, you know, I mean, both from uh, observation and from my own personal experiences, I find that, um, Stages, they're all mixed together. You're experiencing at the same time all the stuff from, you know, it's not linear. You go from here to here, you know, it doesn't Agreed. work. Agreed. Um, right. and, and even, you know, Dr. Kubler-Ross um, in her later years mentioned that it wasn't meant, you know, to to um, to be applicable to people that were, you know, grieving the loss of a loved one. And people kind of took that out of context. So, um, yeah, I think that, anybody that that's in grief especially with you know when somebody dies in the family uh can attest to the fact that it's not um you don't go from point a to point b i remember after my daughter died saying if i can only make it through the first year i'll be okay but you know and then i kept repeating that like as a mantra just make it through you know got two and then the first year came and it was not much changed you know yeah. so then you say it's okay if i can make through the second year so the only thing with grief is that um what I can say is that, you know, the hole in your heart never goes away. And anybody suggested they can cure grief is absurd, um, except that um, the advantage of believing um, that a loved one still exists in some form is that you can dig yourself out of uh, when you reach those deep chasms of despair by going over Maybe it was a strong medium reading. Maybe it was a book that you read. Maybe it was a profound personal experience. And you can, wait a second, this happened and that happened. And you can dig out. Whereas people that refuse to acknowledge anything, they don't have that mechanism to dig out, you know? So, and I think over time also, um, grief um, just changes form, you know? So it Mm. gets a little bit lighter, Mm. you know? And you might wake up one day and say, wait, I went... You know, I went two hours without thinking of my loved one, you know, and then you say, well, I went the whole day, you know, and then that turns into you know, a couple of days. And so, so things, things, it changes in that form. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that what I saw in this Netflix special on your foundation was just too fleeting. It was just not enough. So how long does somebody, a participant go there on? These are retreats that last X amount of time, correct? Yeah, we we have four grief retreats per year. We have uh, two in Connecticut, one in California in October, and one in Florida in January. And um, we invite um, uh, four mediums that have been certified by our foundation. 
we uh, a grief professional, uh, you know, a clinical psychologist, some metaphysical practitioners, and so forth, and we give. Um, presentations the, the people get to sit in small breakout groups with these mediums and it's it starts on Friday afternoon it ends on Sunday night and over the, out of all the things that we do and, and it's we do a lot the, those are the most significant and profound to us because even though they're small intimate groups of 50 55 people we would look at people when they come in on Friday and some of them you could feel it, you know, I mean, they, oh, they just, they can't even smile They're You know, they don't even want to, I'm not sure they want to be there. It's, it's hard. Um, and I see those same people, uh, not everybody, but most people when they leave on Sunday night, there there's laughter and there's joking and there's hope and there's crying and, you know, and, and um, lots of times those effects are long lasting, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I can't tell you how many times people have written that, you know, we, we changed their life or we helped to, to save their life because there's not how to make it through. So uh, we try, it's not all about mediums, although mediums are an integral part of this, but, you know, I mean, I'll give a presentation about afterlife evidence and I take it in a logical fashion, you know, why we're more than our physical bodies kind of backing yeah. into it, you know, mm -hmm. make it uh, a little bit more palatable for people. Yeah, well, if you can give people at that really helpless time some just some hope, I mean, that means everything. It's not, you know, expectations need to be managed. You're not going to take away someone's sadness and grief, but to give them hope. And I, I think that there's probably nothing that is more hopeless than not having any belief in an afterlife whatsoever, me or a God, uh, a higher power. It just leaves you with complete nihilism. I mean, you just have to assume that life has no meaning whatsoever, other than to come to a, a horrifying end at some point. Yeah, and for, and for some people, um, you know, blind faith, um, also fostered by you know, you know, formalized religion, is enough for them, and and that's great. Agreed. Um, when people, you know, sometimes I'll start a retreat and I'll say, yeah, how many people? believe in an afterlife, you know, and people, most people will raise their hand. But what a large percentage of people really mean is that they hope there's an afterlife. Yeah. I haven't really seen any evidence for it, you know, so um, I haven't had any profound experience that tells them, you know, so I think sometimes there's a progression. People go from hope to belief. Mm. And then if they're really lucky, they go from belief to a knowing. And once they reach that knowing stage, kind of flips the whole perspective on life. Yeah, agreed. How about the 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 near death experience? There's a lot of people that talk about, you know, going into the light, and after you do that, maybe you are greeted by loved ones. That's usually the case. Then you get a viewing of of your what happened throughout your life, and it's without judgment. It's just, right. yeah. What do you suppose that's about? Are you supposed to be oh, your own judge yeah. on? Yeah, two take-homes from those life reviews. First of all, just as you described, they described their whole life like a movie reel, just flipping by. And they get to feel all of the, the good and the love and the warmth that they get projected onto others, and it makes them feel good. But conversely, they also feel the the um, the, the hardship that they, or, the, or the meanness mm. they cause to others, oh, yeah. and it doesn't feel so good. But the, the take-home from all this is that... Um, you know, there is no um, 
judge or tribunal that you sit before and they say you go here and you go there. It is, as you mentioned, all self-judgment. And we tend to, the consensus of opinion is that we tend to congregate with people of like mind, you know, maybe you want to call it like mind or the same vibration or frequency. Um, and um, so we determine, you know, where we should be. Now, there very well may be a progression in these other, other worlds where we continue to, to, to evolve. And I would imagine that there's, there's help. I, one thing a lot of people ask is, well, where does, uh, where do people like Hitler go? You know? Um, right. So, uh, you know, and, well, I, I imagine that Hitler went with people of, of like character, of like mind. Uh, and uh, but I think that, you know, that was maybe one piece of, 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 of a greater soul. And with help, he sort of gets rehabilitated, you know, to, to, to keep moving higher. So OK, I, I got to drill down yeah, on that yeah. more. Um, I you have so much experience in in the research that you've done here. So. All right. So I'm going to be blunt. Is that, are those near-death experiences, is that heaven, do you think? And do you believe in hell? You're talking about Hitler, you're in, yeah. I'm getting right down to the nitty-gritty. Do you believe in hell? Is I, that heaven? I, I don't, I don't believe, I don't personally believe in hell. I do believe, I think that because of self-judgment, we can find ourselves in, in uncomfortable situations and places because of what we've done, you know, uh -huh. in, in this physical world. Uh, but Remember, these near-death experiences come back and they have to put these um, ineffable experiences into words, you know, and, and, and they can't. So right. the best and, and it's also when they try to translate it into 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 words, it's based upon their own um, their own conditioning, you know, their their, their own limitations, in, you know, their own inclinations, you know, the social uh, norms. So. To them, they were taught that a nice place must be heaven. So they describe it as heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have a near-death experience here and they describe what, for example, seeing Jesus. Mm -hmm. Somebody might have a near-death experience um, in another country and describe seeing um, uh, Muhammad, you know, or, you know, or, or you know, Buddha. Right. You know? So um, they're seeing the same entity, but they're describing it different, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it, it's... Um, you know, but but also what a lot of these experiences talk about is that there's not there's there's not religion per se. You know, you know, in the next world, it's all spirituality. It's all we come from the same spark of light. It's all you know. There's there's uh, we're we're entities of thought, um, and, and um, you know, it's so we communicate that way. So there's no need for. There's no need for uh, crime. I mean, everybody knows your thoughts. You know? so yeah. You kind of forced it to, you know. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. And uh, I, I tend to believe different things in different days. But in a way, I believe that this physical plane that we're in is kind of like the Big Bang and everything got blown. Everything was one. And then everything got blown apart into this linear thing. And then we're trying to come back to that one. And you could call that God or heaven or whatever. Hmm. So I agree with you in that regard. Uh, so, and I also, for that reason, I don't really believe in hell. It doesn't make much sense to me. Um, oh, boy, it was no, I, 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 My theory on the whole thing differs from most. And I get criticized by a lot of people for, for this because you know how um, 
people that are very spiritual always say there there are no such things as coincidences. You know, yeah, is, is for. I reason. say that a lot. Yeah, um, I you know my wife used to say that too. I I don't, and I've gone over this in my head thousands and thousands of times. Here's what I believe. I believe that no, yes, th there are coincidences. I mean, mm. not everything is is is. Um, is a sign from your loved one. Not everything yeah. is, is, was meant to be. Happenstance and happens. I believe that our entire physical existence is chaotic and random. Yeah. But that's by design. Okay. So it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's I understand. It's organized chaos because we're meant to have all of this crap thrown at us. You know, all, all these obstacles, um, and how we. And they just happen because they happen. You know, if you mm -hmm. believe in a designer, okay, here, you're on your own. I'm not interfering. Make of it what you right. will. You know what you're supposed to do. Um, and, and so I think that how we respond to all of these obstacles, you know, how we um, live our lives, you know, with, with meaning and purpose um, affects us when this physical life is over. Then the chaos and the randomness forms patterns and we get to see the patterns we can't recognize the patterns while we're here so you know that's interesting you know i had I, I read a book once by the world's greatest shamans and that always stuck with me the shaman wrote he says this physical life is like being at a, at a football game he said when you sit ground level the best seats in the house you know and you could hear all the grunts and the screams and the crunches and, and it's really chaotic with people running back and forth and so forth. But when you move up to the very, very top row in the stadium, you get to see all the formations and the patterns. He said, that's what physical life, we can't recognize it while we're in the midst of it. But when we have a greater perspective, when that time comes, uh, and for some, some people are able to do that while they're in the physical, uh, then yeah. you start to see all the meaning. Oh, that's a really good analogy. That's a really good analogy. And that also could, we could take that and maybe surmise that there's a step beyond that as well. And maybe or or this graduation that we do upon dying is just one of uh, many levels that we climb to. Who's Just because uh, we don't know what goes on after death per se doesn't mean that, uh, there's a whole much, there's not a whole greater thing behind that as well. Maybe we go on and maybe yeah. we have multiple levels. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's interesting is that um, I know years ago, after my daughter died, I started reading, I mean, you know, I read hundreds upon hundreds of books mm. and my head was exploding. And one of the first books that I read was the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And there were parts in that book that I that I found disturbing to me because, you know, in a lot of the Eastern philosophy, we merge into the greater awareness. Um, mm -hmm. So we meld, you know, and so in that I found that um, disturbing to me because then that means that we don't retain our, mem our memories anymore and our personalities. Mm. But then when I started to study all this stuff, the opposite seems to be true. Um, at least for for a great while, we retain all you know most of our memories and our personalities. Mm. So we're individuals in part. You know, yes, we are part of this vast greater universe, 
but we we stay we retain our individuality you know and, and that you know from the perspective of losing someone to me that's that's comforting because that means I can still communicate with that person. You know? Agreed. Interesting because I've been struggling with that too, because our near death experiences, the stuff that we could draw from that is such a short period of time. So I've struggled with, well, maybe that's just the entrance to the grand hotel. And we just, you know, but maybe your energy dissipates and, and you climb up in, into this, uh, whatever that is that, uh, so I find something of a comfort in what you're saying as well, that you retain some individuality. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, scientists would discover, describe it one way and, you know, spiritualists describe it another, but it comes back to, um, frequency and vibration, you know, so each level that we go to has a, a higher and higher, you know, frequency. And when you reach a, a frequency that's very high, it's very, very difficult to communicate back with this dense existence, you know, although it's mm. possible, it's, it's it's not easy. So I think that um, there may come a time when, well, maybe it's just not important anymore. You know, I mean, the people there, they, they'll see you again, they they know that, and, and, and they've already given you evidence that it still exists, so they're moving on, doing other things, you know, yeah. so it could be that that enters into the equation, too. Sure. Hey, let's, uh, I, I don't know how much time you have, but I, I want to get into some fun stuff, and uh, it I want to talk more about the mediums where, I, they called it in the show, uh, said that there's mental mediums versus the physical mediums. Yeah. I want to talk about the physical stuff. All right. So you know, <laughs> most 99% of the mediums that you see today are called mental mediums, you know, they're, Agreed. They're, they're, well, they're, they're, uh, they're communicating telepathically, mm -hmm. um, you know, just as I communicate with you, you know, mind to mind, what the mediums are doing is still tele a telepathic process. It's just that one of the parties doesn't have a body, but they right. still have a mind. So, you know, mediums are communicating telepathically. Now, and there's trance mediums, which you hardly see anymore, mostly in yesteryear, where they would actually go into a trance and the person in spirit, the discarnate entity, takes over their body. Oh, right. And there's full trance or semi-trance and so forth. What you saw um, is then they talk about physical mediumship. Yeah. It's another whole, it's a whole different can of worms now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there are physical mediums in, in the world today, but very few. But it was very, very prevalent in the Victorian era. And they some of them were studied by uh, Nobel Prize, you know, winners, you know, medical doctors and really right. top people. And, and they found that some of these uh, mediums were, of course, total frauds and others they could not find any fraud whatsoever. And they, they walked away believing that it was taking place. So in physical mediumship. Same thing. The person in spirit takes over the medium of, of, of the takes over the body of the medium, starts talking through the medium's vocal cords, and associated with that, all this physical phenomena takes place: levitations, you know, lights, uh, rappings, ectoplasm that exudes. From, uh, I, I can't you know, wait from, to go there from, yeah. from the orifice of, of, of the uh, oh. many orifices. Of, yes, of the medium. Yes. So. Um, you know, because it's connected with our work, I mean, I studied it, I researched it, I read a lot of books about it. And like I said to my wife, you know what? I can't talk intelligently about it because without experience it. So we we there was a, a medium, a physical medium from Germany that was doing a demonstration 
for people that we knew um, in the United States. It just so happens he was out in Reno, Nevada, and we were living in New York at the time. Mm. So that wasn't too convenient. But we got invited to sit in, in a seance. So, How cool. So, so we went. Uh, now, the first rule about physical mediumship is that the mediums insist that the process has to take place in total darkness. I know, and that's where they lost me immediately. It's yeah. like, oh, now, of course, of course, right. right. And that's where, if there is fraud, that's where it's going to take place. Now, that's right. The explanation that they give is that this substance that they use during the process, this ectoplasm, um, gets affected by light. And it changes the structure of it. And then when it gets reabsorbed into the body of the medium the medium could get deathly sick or die from it okay oh my god however in my readings i knew that there was some great physical mediums in history that did this stuff under you know pure and pure daylight mm. which raises the question of how come they never got sick you know and, and so so that's another thing so now yeah. i went out there i was not there as a as a researcher i just there as a, as a regular person that was sitting in the seance I didn't have any access to examine the room. The medium sits in a cabinet, which is essentially like this little yeah. alcove, you know, and I, could, I didn't, couldn't examine that. I couldn't examine the medium's hand. So, oh the, the, so the medium had two controls that would hold his hand. One person who was hosting the seance would sit and hold the, up to the medium's left hand. And the other control would sit on the right side of the medium except that control happened to be the medium's wife so i was a little suspect with that <laughs> so you know during the seance and you gotta hold hands and it's hot and it's crap and you, you know Yuck. you know how physically hard it is to hold your hands outstretched for like an hour you know it's like oh. they, it starts to fall so you know the, and i'm seeing i'm getting wrapped they have this thing they call it a trumpet it's like a, a cylinder and they put some uh, reflective tape on the outside of it because in some rare instances, they allow some very, very dim red light so you could see something floating. Okay. Well, during the, the, the seance, I got wrapped in the in the head and the face and the shoulders. And I'm not, I'm not talking about little taps. I'm like, you know, wraps, you know. So now I'm saying to myself, okay, as an objective observer, this is, it's either this is a crock of shit or, you know, this is something amazing, you know, and I, it's so frustrating because I'm a total doctor. I could not make any type of rational judgment. Yeah. Although at one time they finally were taking a break and they said, we can relax our hands, you know, and I, and I spread my hands out and I and I bump into the guy next to me and the guy next to me who's still in total darkness goes, thank you, spirit. You know, <laughs> I said, listen, guy, I, guy, I, I, I'm sorry, but that was me. It wasn't spirit. <laughs> he was like crushed, you know. I mean, you know, people are also many times in a very suggestive state during these things. So, oh yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I saw I saw all these things, um, all the physical phenomena. Um, but after it was over, I walked away with having no questions answered because Yo. you know th there are techniques that I've read about where they they have like an extender pole. You yeah. know, and they go and and they're wrapping people, you know, with that, and, and yeah, you know, the floating lights that got a, a hidden laser, you know. So, yeah. uh, I take that all with a grain of salt. Ha having said that, I know that uh, there were, and there's still uh, one or two mediums out there in the world today that can do it, and, and 150 years ago uh, they were doing it, you know, regularly. So, well, like, wait, I, I want to speak to that. 
I remember listening to a podcast a couple of years ago. It was about the Salem witch burnings, all of that stuff. Mm. There were uh, two sisters. They were very young at the time, uh, way back in the thick of that, that claimed to be something like mediums that could contact the witches and stuff. And they would hold their own private seances for crowds and things like that. And they did this for years. Yeah. And it was, I might screw it up a little bit, but it was something like on the last sister's deathbed, she told all of the secrets on how they faked all of that for all of those years, Yeah, you know, moving yeah. their uh, feet under the table in certain ways. And I mean, it's clever, a ball on a string going across, across the floor, all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't believe, I don't believe any of that. Oh, here's another thing I got to ask you about ectoplasm. Is there, has there ever been any physical evidence of ectoplasm or is it just the hearsay that happens in pitch blackness? Um, well, it's been, it's been photographed, um, you know, um, yeah. and, and examined. But, well, all right, well, it it has been actually captured a specimen and examined in a laboratory. Okay, and, um, now and, we're getting somewhere. And um, there were a lot of inert, uh, different, you know, uh, materials within the ectoplasm. Some easily identified, some not. So it still raised more questions than than not. Mm. The medium in question that I was talking about, I won't mention his name, but. He was researched by a, a top researcher in the field. Um, and this researcher wrote a, a paper in a peer-reviewed journal uh, exposing him, exposing fraud. He caught the medium in the medium's bag. You know that stuff that you buy in um, for Halloween in, in those stores that you spray? It like looks like spider webs. Oh, silly, silly. Whatever. Silly string. string that kind silly of stuff. string. He had a container, oh my God. and he also and he also had a laser device, you know, you know, like oh. in there. So he he actually nailed them, you know, on Freud. Now, mm. some of these mediums, like you were talking about the the Fox sisters, and um, and, oh. and and they were known, uh, thought of to be the 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 forerunners of, of the spiritualist, you know, movement. Um, How bad did I screw up that story? No, it was pretty accurate. You know, so one of the sisters uh, who, you know, uh, had a problem with alcohol and so forth in the later years, um, you know, uh, supposedly admitted to, you know, to to all the fraud. The other sister didn't. But it was questionable, you know, because she was offered money. They wanted to write a story. Was she Mm. just saying it to get the money? We don't know the true answers to that. Uh, some of the phenomena, I, I believe, was real. They used to do these wrappings. So they would ask, you know, they'd have like a, a Ouija board or a table, you know. Yeah. They, they'd ask to wrap or or, or they say, you know, wrap once for yes and two for no. And then he used to spell out things. So make of it, you know, you, you can make of it what you will. But um, as I mentioned, some of the mediums back then, they were examined under brutal conditions. I mean, mm. they were gagged, they were, you know, hogtied, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were really put under uh, physical duress. And yet this, these phenomena would occur, um, you know, and it couldn't possibly have been the medium or there was no, you know, accomplice in the room. So, um, oh, but Bob, but today we still don't have real video evidence. I mean, an infrared camera, it's like, hey, you know, every week this guy holds a seance and check out this stuff. Yeah. You know, we don't have that. So no. I still, I'm not buying it. 
I want to ask you about this and I, you probably don't want to say anything bad, but it was a, maybe one or two. The Netflix docuseries was five or six episodes, six, six. It was a couple after yours. It got a little silly after that. So we go off to, I think, Holland in the Netherlands and we visit the woman with the short blonde hair who she's a, a do you want to say physical medium? I'd say a trans medium yeah. based on your earlier uh, description. And she would do these seances and then all of a sudden talk in this creepy, deep voice. And then she would turn into Tommy who's a little boy. Yeah, and yeah. I got to tell you, that yeah. was the silliest stuff I ever saw. Yeah, they lost me on that too, Ben. <laughs> okay, I just wanted, I didn't think you'd admit it. It was so, she, I think I was watching this woman talk and I'm, I'm like, I know she's a fraud, but I bet you she half believes her own crap. You know, I bet yeah. she does. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, that kind of stuff, um, I mean, it served a purpose because, I mean, you know, the, the viewers got to see, you know, good and bad, you know. It's well, not, I guess you're right about you that. Know, it's not all one way or the other. Um, and also what I've noticed over the years after working with all these mediums is that, you know, we put our, even our really good mediums, we put them in the, in the role of being a performer because we have them standing up in front of groups or sometimes large groups and they feel the need to, perform you know whereas sure. instead of you know honing in so like if the medium is is stumbling and needing more information they got to quiet their minds and ask for more but then you know you don't want to be on stage and have silence for for a minute so what happens is they start to interject what i call filler which is their mm. own conscious uh, observations which have no place in mediumship and that's where they get into trouble you know i mean oh. and, and we and we force foster that by putting them in that role i mean instantly i have a tremendous problem with these mediums that play audiences of thousands of people mm. to me that's absurd you know they charge 150 bucks a pop or whatever it is to get in five thousand people 5,000 people driving there thinking that the bond that they had with their loved one was so great that somehow their loved one's going to come through. And then the medium does six readings. Do the math. Six readings with 5,000 people. What are your chances of getting a reading? Like 0. 0.000. You know, so so uh, I got a problem with that. I did write down the name of uh, the medium that was close to your special. It was back in during the those specials in the Netflix docuseries that I thought were super valid and really good. Her mm. name was Laura Lynn Jackson. Yeah. I think she's 100% legit. She is uh, extraordinary. Um, I've watched her work over the years. We certified her back in 2005. I mean, she wrote her first book based upon, you know, group events that she did for for our, our foundation um she's also participated in research she's going to be at our retreat in uh, january in florida uh but she's um she's gone on to become wildly you know popular you know wrote, wrote a lot of books but she's to her credit she's remained grounded and and and, yeah. and and volunteers her time for the foundations i appreciate it. but yes she's the real deal and she's on a a really high level of, you know, I consider her to be among the very best mediums in the world. Yeah. Well, she's super grounded. Like you said, I mean, she'll look you right in the eye when, and you can see the compassion and uh, that she surrounds herself with. Uh, with that, Bob, how about where can we find you? Like if people, I'm sure there'd be people interested in where they can find out more about the forever family foundation. 
Yeah, I mean, the the website is uh, all spelled out, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, and, you know, you'll see tabs on a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, I, the book is called The Medium Explosion. That can, you know, people can get that on Amazon. I write a personal blog called beyondthefivesenses.com. That's just an outlet for me to get my thoughts out there before I ex my head explodes, you know, so... Spell out five or no? Numeral. Uh, yeah, everything spelled out beyond the five senses. Okay. I and, didn't have that link. Yeah. Okay. I will put all do, these links in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, we, we also have uh, aired a, a live radio show every Thursday since 2005. Um, and all the shows are archived on our, our site. So if you see somebody on TV or you read a book, um, whether it's a scientist or researcher or, or whatever, a medium, uh, do a search in the archives because chances are I've interviewed them over the years and, and then nice. you could, you could you know, have an hour interview with them to listen. Well, I might take a look at that, see if I can uh, find a good future guest. I mean, that'd be interesting. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, Bob, with that, I, we'll okay. wrap up for now. If you ever want to come back again, I could talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Barry. Good being with you. All right. Take care. And have a great, great weekend. Right. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye.